looking tonight in John chapter 16 and verse 8. A message I call Godly Conviction for Human Confusion. John chapter 16 verse 8. Our text tonight is a part of Jesus' discussion and promise of the Comforter. The Comforter. One of the names of the Holy Spirit. Speaking of how that he was going to come in a new relationship. Long promised in the Old Testament. Jeremiah the prophet had spoken of that time when uh, God would send his spirit. And he'd give us a new heart. Uh, one of the chief principal features of the new covenant. We ask what's new about the new covenant. Uh, a whole lot of that of course has to do with the work of the Holy Spirit. In the lives of God's people. In the midst of those promises in John chapter 14, 15, 16, we have this. And when he has come, that's the Holy Spirit, the comforter. He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. May God bless the reading of his word tonight is my prayer. Uh, the American humorist Will Rogers was credited with saying, uh, everybody's ignorant just about different things. Um, you may be a highly educated professional, yet marvel at the skill and dexterity of the mechanic who fixes your car. Uh, you may be in top-level management, yet wonder how that young mother with four kids is able to keep them all together while keeping her sanity. It's one thing, you see, uh, to be ignorant and to know that there's things that we just don't know. The word ignorant is not a bad thing. It just simply means not to know, not to know. It's built on a couple of uh, Greek words uh, that literally mean, I don't know. I don't know, there's no shame in ignorance. But ignorance can be a very dangerous problem when we add to it confusion. So that a person thinks that they're knowledgeable about something. But in fact, they don't know anything about it. Some years ago, I remember reading about a person who was killed, absolutely knocked dead when he tried to steal copper wire uh, off of the light poles. Obviously, the man thought he knew something about electricity. But he didn't. And we say, you know, that's a terrible thing to be ignorant of electricity. Think you know about it, and you really don't. But let me tell you something. To be ignorant of spiritual things. To be ignorant of eternal things and not know that you're ignorant of it. And to think that you have knowledge about spiritual things and eternal things is far more dangerous than that person who thinks they know about electricity when they don't. It is eternally dangerous, you see, to be confused about spiritual things. And multitudes of people in our world are in just that situation today. We might think that such ignorance about God and all things related to God is really unique in our, our culture. And I will admit uh, that we can probably spread ignorance faster than any culture that's ever been 
I mean, you know, we are perfecting this to an art form these days. And, uh, it, you know, it's so easy to spread around stuff that's not true. But we've certainly not perfected or not invented this idea about being confused about God. You see, the pages of antiquity are littered with the stories of idols and idolatry. Every idol that has ever existed is a tribute to the fact that people are ignorant about the nature of God. Paul talked about that in Romans chapter 1. When he talked about the things that are of God are easily seen, his invisible attributes, uh, specifically his eternal power and Godhead. That day after day, the creation is uttering speech. Night after night, it proclaims knowledge. Every day, the creation brings to all of humanity a message about the faithfulness of God. Uh, in the morning when the sun comes up, God's faithful. When the wind blows, the rain falls. <laughs> when the sun bears down its heat at its appropriate seasons. When we plant seed in the ground and it grows. All of these things are testaments to the creative power of Almighty God. When the sun goes down, it doesn't mean that we close the book on it and say it's over. Because God's revelation to us is just beginning good. Because at night. You can see the moon and the glorious stars and the planets. They're all singing in perfect harmony. God is our creator. But man, in his ignorance and confusion, though he sees that clearly and says, there has to be a God. <laughs> all of this stuff couldn't just happen. No, you have to go to university for a long, long time, for the most part, to come to the conclusion that all these things just happen on their own. You've got to be highly educated to believe that. Most of humanity looks at all this and said, you know, there's got to be a great big God who could make all of this. And he's very powerful. But Paul says in Romans chapter 1, in their ignorance and confusion, what do they do? They make a statue with their own hands and bow down before it. And worship it. They think they know something. But they don't. They're ignorant. Stunningly ignorant. Of God. Paul gave the classic response to this. In the ancient city of Athens. As he stood surrounded by idols and altars. On every hand. Every street. Every corner. Lined with its own uh, altar. And its own God. And after being there for a while. That old Jew was kind of upset. Uh, he just said, you know, I perceive that all these things you folks are too superstitious. Y'all have entirely too many gods. Yeah, I don't know how many had they had. But all they needed was one. And that was the one they didn't know. And they built an altar to him called the unknown God. And Paul said at the times of this ignorance, God winked at, God had overlooked. Now, that doesn't mean that the Athenians and all the other idol worshipers of all time were going to heaven because they were ignorant. No. It just means that God wasn't going to hold them accountable for their ignorant worship of Him. They did not know Him. So the fact that they were worshiping Him in the wrong way was not a concern to Him. Like Jesus said to the woman at the well, you worship, you don't know what. If you don't know what you're worshiping, then it really doesn't matter how you worship, does it? The times of this ignorance then God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. 
turn from their sin, in this case their confusion and their idolatry, and turn to God. Acts chapter 17 and verse 27. He spoke and said to them that they should seek the Lord. This is all people, if haply they might feel after Him and find Him, though He be not far from every one of us. In verse 29, For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that Godhead is likened to gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men to repent. Such an incredible passage. People are feeling after God. Pictures of a person in darkness feeling their way around. But here's humanity in their confusion, in their darkness, in their ignorance. They might feel for God, but you're never going to feel Him. Open your eyes and look for God. You're never going to see Him. They're not going to hear Him. And so here is humanity happily feeling in their ignorance and blindness, trying to, uh, to feel God or trying to, to find God. They'll never find Him. But instead, here's God responding to humanity and saying, verse 8, John chapter 16, when He has come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. God did not leave humanity just to feel in the darkness after him. God came to us. And in fact, Jesus said the Son of Man has come to what? Seek and to save that which was lost. He didn't leave man to go looking after him. God comes seeking after us. God himself is a seeker. What an incredible message. No wonder Titus chapter 2 and verse 11 says, The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. You see, God in the presence of the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. That means He is present everywhere, all at the same time. Uh, something just as simple as a, as a curvature of the earth. That's no threat to God. That ship that sails over the horizon and drops out of sight, hey, God is just as much there as He is now. I'm right here. If it's really true that you could dig all the way to Australia, if you went straight through the earth, I don't know if it's true or not, but I know one thing. God is just as real in Australia as He is in Arkansas. He is. He's not bound by anything as simple as time and space. He's present everywhere, all at the same time. And some people sometimes look at me a little funny all the time, and we're the same people that will turn on a radio and expect the radio to suddenly start playing tunes. We have no problem with that. Even though there's these invisible radio waves all the time out there, we can't see them, we can't feel them. They're passing through our body right now. All kinds of waves. But you have to have the receiver turned on in order to hear them. When you turn it on, then lo and behold, there, there it all happens. It's amazing. Listen, the Holy Spirit's more real than that. The incredible thing. That here's the omnipresence of God. And yet all around the world, there are these people that though God is closer to them than anyone else could be, He's right there. They can't see him. They can't feel him. They can't touch him. They can't hear him. They don't have a receiver. They have no capacity then 
to recognize that God is with them. But still, in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, God has a way of making His salvation known to all men. I love Psalm 139, verse 7. Whether shall I go from thy spirit, or whether shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. And really the psalm just goes on from there. What a magnificent image of God. God is a spirit, the Holy Spirit, closer to us. And yet man in his natural condition has no capacity to interact with God at all. From the very beginning, almost, man has had a tendency to make God into something that they can interact with. Whether it's the big guy upstairs, or full-blown idolatry, to the deified humanity so popular today where men make themselves their own God. And worship at their own altar of themselves. Men have always tried to make God into something that they can interact with. But God responds then with the magnificent truth of our text that we put before us tonight. This is an incredible passage. And uh, I'm thankful to have the chance to to talk about it a little while tonight. uh, Because the Holy Spirit is at work. And there are three incredible things that he is constantly working to reveal in our world. And he's doing that very well. And at the top of the list, of course, is the truth about sin. Verse 8, when he has come, he will convict or convince the world of sin. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And there are three reasons why that people are sinners. And first of all, we're sinners because of who we are. That is who we are. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3, Among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You know, if you have a chance sometime, and I hope I do get a chance sometime, I, I, I would love to, uh, please don't uh, hold this against me, but I am a hunter. Uh, unapologetically so, and sometime before I die, I hope I get to go wolf hunting. I want to kill a wolf. I don't know why exactly. Shame on you, I know. It'll probably never happen, but I want to do it. Um, If you ever see a wolf standing over the bloody carcass of something that it just recently killed, you might be a little bit repulsed by that, but you don't wonder about it. After all, a wolf is a predator. It's what it does. It kills. Whether it's a buffalo or somebody's calf in their pasture, he don't care. He's a killer. He's a predator. He's very efficient. And we know that's its nature. Now, now you've got a little cat, kitty cat at home named Princess. Some of you might have a little Princess or a little Polly or something. She's such a beauty, pretty little thing. And you might be surprised sometime when little princess or little Polly goes out in the yard and all of a sudden she brings you a dead bird. Now she ain't interested in eating it. 
She might play with it a little while, but now that it's not struggling anymore, she don't even care about playing with it. And you say, well, little princess, why did you kill that bird? You're just so sweet and such a cute little old pet, and she's got that nice little collar, and she lives in my house. But don't you be deceived. Little princess's nature is one of a predator. And if she gets a chance, she's probably going to let that nature out because that is what it is. Human beings, folks, we are predators too. Uh, that's a fact. And uh, those canine teeth we have tells us that we're made to be meat eaters. Some of you might be vegans. I'm okay with that if you make that choice, by the way. I don't think it's something that the Bible forbids of us uh, or requires that we be meat eaters. But that is our nature. But more than it is our nature to be a predator, it's our nature to be sinners. That's what we are. And Ephesians, I didn't make that up. We are by nature the children of wrath. It's our nature. It's who we are. It's what we are. But we're also sinners because of what we do. <laughs> because we're sinners, we sin. We sin and we rather like it. Part of us does. Uh, we sin and we tend to want more of sin. A part of us does. Uh, but listen, more than we are sinners because of what we do, because of what we do, we are sinners because we, of what we have not done. And in fact, that's exactly what Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit is going to do. He will convict the world of sin because they believe not on me. They're sinners not just because of what we have done and because of what we are, but also because of what we haven't done. We have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You may be thinking tonight, well, you know, I hear somebody that says, you may hear somebody say, well, I've told a lie or two. I've had a few lustful thoughts over the course of my life. I've drank a beer or two. I might have taken a few things that didn't belong to me along the way. But I'm not a bad person, and if God wants to send me to hell for that, well, so be it. Well, let me tell you something. God doesn't send you to hell for what you do, but for what you don't do. Jesus said it, John chapter 3, He that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed on the name of the everlasting Son of God. That person who is in hell tonight is there for one reason, because they did not believe on Jesus Christ. We tend, you see, to pre treat unbelief as an intellectual problem, but it's really a heart problem, a sin problem. And it doesn't originate in the head, but in the heart. I read of an evangelist who was dealing with a woman who came forward during a meeting wanting to be saved. He asked her to pray, and she wasn't sure how. So he said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll pray. And then you just repeat what I say. And, of course, he started out, Lord, uh, I, I, I know that I'm a sinner. Nothing. He thought maybe she didn't hear, so he said it again, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Nothing. He looked at her and said, ma'am, don't. Don't you want to be saved? She said, yes, but I'm not a sinner. Well, he said, ma'am, the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the woman replied, well, if I'm a sinner, then I'm a good sinner. <laughs> because I'm not a bad person, she said. I'm really not a bad person. And the evangelist with great wisdom said, ma'am, there are no good sinners. Later she returned, thankfully, and said, you know, I am a sinner. Please show me how to pray to receive Christ. 
You see, it all starts there. And the truth is, the Holy Spirit is really good at doing what Jesus Christ said He would do, and that is to convince people of the truth that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What separates mankind from God, why they can't feel after Him and find Him, is because their sin is in the way. It has them blinded to the truth of who God is and what He'll do. So if that is the truth about the problem of sin, then Jesus said the next thing the Holy Spirit will convince people of is of the provision of the Savior. In verse 10 he says, of righteousness, he'll convince the world of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. As humanity is confused about sin, so they also are confused about righteousness. Since they see sin primarily as the bad things that they do, they see righteousness then as the good thing. That they do. But the fact is, no amount of goodness makes up for badness. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again tonight. Uh, if a person is an alcoholic and they quit drinking, if that's all they do, then they go to hell sober. That's just a fact. The fact that they've cleaned up, stopped doing bad things, decided to start do good, doing good things does not correct their fundamental sin problem. As they are ignorant then of sin, they're ignorant of righteousness. And so when Jesus speaks of ascending to His Father in heaven, He is pointing our attention to His completed work on our behalf. The Holy Spirit then will not only point out to us our sin, but He will point out to us of what Jesus Christ has done. And He is constantly working. And He works through us. And He works through His churches. He works through people. He works through tracks. He works through the blessing of His Word to bless this truth to the hearts of people. And Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 and verse 20 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, His flesh. That Christ, you see, because He has ascended unto the Father, is that new and living way. He stands there in heaven uh, as much more than the door. He is a living way by which we have access to Almighty God. And in fact, He is the only way that we can. And when we talk about what Jesus Christ has done for us, He has done exactly what we needed to fix the sin problem that we really didn't even, humanity didn't even know they had. Let's talk about that identity problem, who we are. We're sinners, amen, that's what we are. But now let's see, now in Jesus Christ, the Bible says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. God has changed my identity now. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, We are given exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. You see, where once we were just completely overwhelmed by that sin nature, now in Jesus Christ, He's dealt with that. We have a new nature, that divine nature, so that we're able to escape the corruption that is in the world by lust. God deals with what we are. He also, in Jesus Christ, forgives what we have done. Remember, we're sinners because of what we've done. Well, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7 says, If we walk in the light as He is in the light, 
We have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us. Yes, I am clean. Cleanses us from all sin. He gives us then a relationship with God where we were separated and alienated from Him. Then we now have His righteousness. That fundamental concept of righteousness in Scripture is of being right with God. Rightly related to God through Jesus Christ. Where before we were separated from God and, and, and just feeling for Him in our sin. Now, now we have a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. We are reconciled, reconciled to God. Lastly then, he's talking about the power of Satan. John chapter 16 and verse 11. He convinces the world of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. John chapter 12 and verse 31, he said this, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Now when Satan thought that Jesus was defeated, uh, Satan doesn't know everything. You know that tonight? Satan doesn't know everything. He thought Jesus was defeated, but he was instead victorious. Paul told us that through the cross of Jesus Christ, he spoiled the principalities and powers and made a show of them openly and triumphed over them through his cross. That means that Jesus didn't just win by the cross. He ran the score up. He triumphed over them by the cross. It wasn't just a, a squeaked out victory. It was an overwhelming victory. He had a victory parade through the cross. That means that the power of Satan has been broken. And that means that greater is he that is in you and me than he that is in the world. Isn't that good news? It is the nature of humanity to blame all of their problems on the devil. Some of you might remember that old comedian Flip Wilson that made a career out of saying the devil made me do it. I'm showing my age tonight. Those of you who don't remember it, just do a Google search. Flip Wilson the devil made me do it. Well, as much as we'd like to blame everything that happens bad in our life on the devil, really, the devil doesn't make us do anything unless he has a willing accomplice. Why? Because his power has been broken. He is no longer in that authority. And throughout his ministry then, Jesus was casting out devils. After he was gone, Jesus was casting out devils. Over and over again, he was showing his authority and his power over them. His supremacy over them. That final act then of dominion and domination. When he conquered them and triumphed over them in his cross. The point that he makes in this passage is really simple. If right now the devil has been cast down, if right now the ruler of this world, the one behind all of this world system, the one behind all of this counter-truth, the one behind all of these efforts against God and against God's truth, the one who's blinding the eyes of men that, lest they believe the gospel, the one who's filling their hearts and minds with lies so that they won't hear the truth, if the devil, the arch enemy of God and all things godly, if he has already been judged and conquered down, and he is, then what do you think are going to happen to those who listen to him and those who follow him? Well, the Bible does not leave us to wonder. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this... For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. 
Bible tells the story of when Paul stood before the emperor. He had the chance to reason with Felix and Drusilla about righteousness and temperance and judgment to come. And as he reasoned with them about a righteousness that they didn't possess, listen, they were living a horrible life. As he lived, reasoned with them about temperance, self-control, <laughs> they didn't have any of that. So if they were absent, they didn't have any righteousness, and they didn't have any self-control, didn't have any temperance. It's no wonder that when he started talking about the fact that there was judgment to come, what did they say? That's enough, Paul. <laughs> Some more convenient time. Go thy way. Some more convenient time. We'll talk to you again. They didn't get out of here, buddy. We don't want to hear any more of this. I'm going to tell you, the people who say, get away from me, I don't want to hear that, have not gone out of existence. When we start talking about the fact that there is judgment to come, there's multitudes who will turn away. That's why you don't hear a lot of pulpits preaching about that on TV these days. There's judgment to come. But there is judgment to come. And though it is unpopular, though it's not what people want to hear, the Holy Spirit is out there. And He's constantly working in the hearts of people to bring them to that awareness, to remind them, perhaps through us, perhaps through His church, perhaps through a Sunday school lesson, perhaps through some conversation that we're able to have, that we serve the living God, that God, our Jesus, is not through with this world. He's coming back. And when He comes back, He's going to come back in judgment. And the world needs to be ready to meet him. <clears throat> now, if we were to ask the world at large tonight what they need, they might come back with a lot of different answers. Boy, if we had somebody that could cure cancer. Amen. God bless you. What a wonderful thing that would be. Heart disease, Alzheimer's, what a cruel, cruel disease. If we had somebody that could fix all of our economic problems, bring economic justice not only to America but to all the world so that there was some level of equality and everybody had what they needed and nobody was poor and nobody was hungry. If we could fix the crime problem, the violent problem, the hatred problem, if we could just get people maybe to talk to each other and have some decent conversations instead of yelling at each other. World peace. That used to be a favorite answer in the Miss America contest. World peace. What does God say the world needs? What the Holy Spirit is out there doing. He will convict, convince the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin that they're not aware of. 
of a righteousness they don't possess. Of a judgment that they're not prepared for. That's what the world needs. That's why God sent us a Savior. (laughs) The Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why the Holy Spirit is at work in our world. I'm so glad that I know the King of Kings. Aren't you tonight? If you don't know him. There's not a better time for that to happen than tonight. Have you received him as Savior tonight, but you've not followed him in baptism? Maybe you're looking for a church home. You believe God has led you here. Maybe you've got somebody on your heart tonight you want to pray for. I don't know. But our praise team, Brother Bill, is going to come lead us in an invitation on him. This will be your time. You respond as the Spirit of God leads. Let's stand together and close.